0: If the world is to move to pure digital finance, and in particular digital finance backed by blockchain as we know it today, uh, folks will not have privacy in that system that's commensurate with the privacy they had today with the legacy system. Today, yeah. it's possible to go into a Starbucks and to pay for a coffee with a, a Visa or a MasterCard. Uh, and I know I paid for that. Starbucks knows I paid for that the bank uh, maybe knows my maybe my bank knows but the rest of the world doesn't know and they also it's possible for me it's it's impossible for me to do that today with cryptocurrency without inadvertently revealing not only my entire transaction history but also my net worth to the mm-hmm. world unless I'm extremely careful and i think that's not that's not going to work we need mm-hmm. to do better
1: This episode is sponsored by NordVPN. I've been using NordVPN for years since it doesn't log your data, has over 5,300 super fast servers in 59 countries, and I can pay in my favorite cryptocurrency, Dash, which is important since I'm unbanked. Take back your online privacy. Sign up now with the promo code DCN and get 68% off or just $3.71 per month, plus an additional month free. Go to NordVPN.org slash DCN or use the coupon code DCN. Hey, everyone. I have the wonderful pleasure of speaking with the one and only David Campbell or DC. There's other DCs out there, but this is the one that matters today. So would you mind giving yourself a more thorough and proper introduction?
0: Sure. Uh, Good afternoon, Joel. I'm David Campbell. Most people call me DC. I'm responsible for operations at the Electric Coin Company, uh, which is the company that brought Zcash to the world. Been involved in cryptocurrency since 2011. Uh, I got my start mining Bitcoin uh, with a GPU rig that was built for a security consultancy I was running at the time um, that we used to to crack passwords, uh, doing red team assessments for our clients. Uh, basically, I've spent my entire career in cybersecurity and mm. got real interested uh, about digital privacy mm. uh, sometime in 2011 2012. Uh, worked with the wall street journal to enumerate the extent to which smartphone users were being spied on mm-hmm. uh, by their apps and the, the advertising driven internet that we've created uh, so it was a natural segue uh, to go from working in cybersecurity, digital rights and privacy uh, into cryptocurrency
1: yeah well that sounds great uh, for those who you know Are not aware the electric coin company is i would call the primary development arm for the zcash decentralized cryptocurrency Uh, i'd assume that that's a that's an accurate assessment
0: you know historically i would say that's accurate there's Mm -hmm. been a a significant change that's recently uh, been decided on by the community uh, Mm -hmm. in in zcash uh, which is to basically allocate Uh, 20% of issuance for the next four years Mm -hmm. to the development of Zcash. But notably, the largest share of that funding will not go to the Electric Coin Company, Mm. nor will it go to the Zcash Foundation, which is a 501c3 uh, focused on digital privacy and Zcash. Instead, it will go to a fund administered by what's called the Major Grants Review Committee, which has just recently been elected. Uh, and notably, mm-hmm. nobody from the Electric Coin Company or the Zcash Foundation serves on that committee. So it's a it's a significant and material amount of funding. It mm-hmm. represents 8% of issuance for the next four years. Uh, at current valuation, that's tens of millions of dollars. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who emerges to basically put those funds to use uh, in support of Zcash and the broader ecosystem.
1: Yeah, that's one thing that uh, it's kind of... It's one of those challenging things with cryptocurrency because it tends to be, you know, decentralized open source software, but then trying to get funding sources for that is can be tricky sometimes, and then you end up having a lot of you know centrally controlled, decent decentralized projects and trying to have a decentralized, decentralized project that nonetheless you know runs like a well-oiled machine is pretty, you know, it's challenging. But I'm glad that that's been that's been going on. Now, as far as we're talking, you know, privacy because, you know, mm-hmm. that's the word of the day. And I know that there are a lot of people, even in the crypto world, have no idea the ins and outs of privacy or what does it mean or what are the different ways. They just say it's like it's transparent or anonymous. And so mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of different ways of achieving greater privacy. You have something like CoinJoin, which just splits up and mixes up all different pieces of cryptocurrency and then puts them out. So it's hard to, to trace you have like encrypted things, you have things like uh, Lolantis that Zcoin's implemented, you have ring signatures, you have all these kinds of different approaches. And I've heard other people say that uh, Zcash's approach is one of the more data intense, like the more complicated, larger, more intense kind of things. So all that being said, what's, what's the big why for Zcash? What's the big extra step forward that that takes that other kind of other solutions weren't obviously weren't satisfying before that.
0: Sure, that's, that's a great question, Joel, and I'll, I'll definitely get to that. First, though, I'd like to zoom out for a moment mm-hmm. and look at Bitcoin and look at the circumstances that led to the creation of Bitcoin. Uh, and if you, if you look at the world that existed 2008 with uh, the economic crisis globally, mm-hmm. specifically in the US, uh, a lot of pain and suffering on the part of ordinary citizens, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto and a group of cypherpunks created Bitcoin, I think, uh, as a shot across the bow of uh, centrally controlled money that mm-hmm. could be inflated. Uh, and was, was hard, it was hard to understand the supply. It was hard to understand um, who was really running the controls of that, that, mm-hmm. that monetary policy. Uh, so Bitcoin was created and Satoshi, in his white paper, he acknowledged that the pseudonymity afforded by Bitcoin's design mm-hmm. uh, would likely lead to a, a lack of privacy down the track. Mm. Uh, and you fast forward now, what, more than 10 years and we see that we've got this, this novel consensus mechanism, was, which is great because it allows parties that don't know or trust each other to agree on how that ledger should be updated. So that's a, a major step forward for a decentralized internet. Uh, but we also see that Satoshi's concerns around privacy have now been realized. There are scaled, uh, well-funded companies building tools that specifically pull apart the entire transaction graph of Bitcoin and other fully transparent uh, cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And what we've what we now see is that the if the if the world is to move to pure digital finance and in particular digital finance backed by blockchain as we know it today. Uh, folks will not have privacy in that system that's commensurate with the privacy they had today with the legacy system. Today, yeah. it's possible to go into a Starbucks and to pay for a coffee with a, a Visa or a MasterCard. Uh, and I know I paid for that. Starbucks knows I paid for that. The bank uh, maybe knows, my maybe. my bank knows. But the rest of the world doesn't know. And they also, it's possible for me, it's, it's impossible for me to do that today with cryptocurrency without inadvertently revealing not only my entire transaction history, but also my net worth to the mm-hmm. world, unless I'm extremely careful. And I think that's not, that's not gonna work. We need mm-hmm. to do better. Uh, and so there are innovations in Bitcoin to provide greater privacy. Uh, there are innovations in a, a lot of different Cybercoin projects to provide a, a greater degree of confidentiality. Um, it's my understanding that the technology behind Zcash is superior to all the other approaches out there as it relates to providing strong on-chain privacy. Uh, The zero-knowledge cryptographic techniques that underlie Zcash, they are complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at the time that Zcash was launched, very few people on the planet understood zero-knowledge cryptography. I think that has now changed. We see ZK-SNARKs popping up everywhere as uh, solutions, not just to on-chain privacy, but also to scalability uh, on, on various blockchains. So I think the technology has matured. Uh, it's stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it represents a, a sort of a quantum leap forward for strong on-chain privacy.
1: Yeah. So if you were to explain to, um, I guess, a newbie who kind of understands how cryptocurrency works more or less, understands there's public and private keys, you, know, you send to addresses, there's inputs and outputs, and that's kind of like their level of understanding. What mm-hmm. would you tell them about how, how, Zcash's, um, how Zcash's encryption works, just so they could say, Repeat it at you know a party or to a girlfriend and sound smart, but you know like that. Yeah, level.
0: with with Bitcoin, when you want to spend mm-hmm. uh, when you want to spend a coin, you need to reveal to the world exactly what coin you're spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem with that is, well, you may have obtained that coin through honest means. It could be that that coin has a nefarious history.
2: Mm-hmm. Perhaps
0: it was uh, used on a dark dark market, or it was associated with child pornography or terrorist financing or something, and it's been stamped as bad Uh, so even though you didn't do anything to basically implicate yourself in wrongdoing you are now in possession of a coin that may not be as valuable as every other coin on the network
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, the zcash technology specifically allows you to spend a coin and to use zero knowledge technology to prove that that coin has never been spent by anyone else but it doesn't require to for you to reveal to the world exactly which coin you're spending
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so uh, we have a saying within the Zcash community that all coins are created equal. That really is the case. This is this principle of fungibility where any Zcash coin is as good as any other because it doesn't have that, uh, that transaction history associated with it.
1: Yeah. And so this, to my understanding, is still at this point an optional feature, correct?
0: That's true. There are two types of uh, Zcash transactions, both unshielded or transparent transactions mm-hmm. and shielded transactions. Uh, and a decision was made fairly early on in the lifecycle of the project to basically have both of those modes. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the idea here was that it would be quicker to get integrations with mm-hmm. existing uh, Bitcoin exchanges, uh, because Zcash is itself a code fork of Bitcoin. So the APIs for interacting with transparent Zcash are literally mm-hmm. uh, identical to the APIs for using Bitcoin. Um, along the way, what we found is that the, the dual nature of Zcash can actually be beneficial because there are situations in which you want the world to know uh, about a particular transaction. You want to be able to prove uh, that you made a particular transaction to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's actually an advantage of Zcash that there is uh, that optional privacy model. Now, I will say that from a user experience perspective, uh, historically, it's been quite difficult to use shielded Zcash. The mm-hmm. tools uh, from an end user perspective to to make shielded transactions uh, were literally non-existent until really the past 12 months or so, unless you were comfortable running a full node and using the command line. Uh, but that yeah. has changed significantly, and it's now possible to get uh, a mobile shielded Zcash wallet on the iOS app store or the Android Play mm-hmm. store and be up and running, sending and receiving shielded zcash very quickly
1: yeah before we go into those changes because you know i mostly investigated zcash back back in the day in the early days Mm -hmm. um i do have a friend i have actually witnessed a shielded transaction being used to purchase something in store in the Mm -hmm. very early days and that was it was a cool, but a little bit clunky because it was it was command line and a laptop and it took a little bit of a while, while to just buy it and or something. But it's just, right. you know, it's the thought that counts. So now we're talking about being able to do this in a mobile setting and things like that. Uh, what are the kind of trade-offs that are necessary right now? So first off, is it much more computationally intense or whatever, does it take more time to where the user really notices it than other transactions?
0: So historically, that was the case. Mm -hmm. So the the initial Zcash protocol was called Sprout.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: uh, And to generate a Sprout proof, which is that that zero-knowledge cryptographic operation that proves that you're spending a coin, it doesn't uniquely identify that coin, it proves that coin has never been spent before, Uh, it used to require uh, megabytes of memory or gigabytes of memory and uh, a significant amount of CPU time. Uh, That changed with the Sapling upgrade, which I believe... Uh, shipped about two years ago, around Mm -hmm. this time. Uh, And that radically reduced the footprint in terms of resources required to generate these proofs. So used to take a minute or more to generate a proof on modern hardware. Now it takes seconds. And it's now because of Sapling that generating those transactions was feasible, uh, is now feasible on mobile devices. So the the missing piece once the Sapling upgrade uh, hit the mainnet was the user tooling, the software development kits to basically expose You know how to do that safely uh, in a performant way with good user experience on a mobile platform, and it it took us some time to to build those tools and and equip the world with those.
1: Yeah, so I actually use cryptocurrency in my daily life. I don't have a bank account. I've been living off of crypto for about five years now, and so I have bought coffee with crypto. Let's just take the coffee example of sure. I go up, they say, oh, two. You know, it's five bucks, because that's an expensive pumpkin spice latte or whatever, you know, guilty <laughs> as charged. And then I go to scan, like they present a QR code or something. I go to scan it, I hit payment. What's the, the tick tock? What's the the timeline before the end device, the receiving de- device verifies that that transaction's completed? Uh, and this shield point,
0: in. I think about 75 seconds. All and right. The majority of that time is not the proof generation time on your mobile device. It's mm-hmm. the block time of the network.
1: Okay, but so to receive what we would call a, a shielded but unconfirmed transactions, and it, it shows up but hasn't yet gotten a block confirmation.
0: That like, should be seconds.
1: So it's like three, four seconds, something like that?
0: I'd say less than 20. The, the proof generation yeah. uh, is a few seconds, but then the, the transaction has to propagate through yeah. the mempool. So I'd say less than 20 seconds.
1: Yeah, so we'll, let's just give like a 10 second rate, press one. And twelve. Yeah, so it's it's pretty usable. It's not like, you know, if some people might get annoyed if they're behind you in line, but it's it's like a lot of times you put like a chip card in or something like that. It takes a little while to figure something out. So it's sure. not outside of the realm of commercial like viability for a in person sale. Now, uh, are there any sort of privacy trade offs in using like a mobile device like that? And so let me preface this with um I have you know, in the past with for example, um, if you used a light client for Monero, for example. Uh, the Basically the node operator who like runs the node that your little mobile device is connected to would have to have your view key in order to basically be able to help you, to facilitate you sending these sorts of transactions. So obviously if you use a thin client, right? There's gotta be a node involved somewhere. Is there some sort of a privacy trade-off with that way that works or can you explain how
0: that works? Sure, the, absolutely. There are privacy trade offs. So, the, the architecture uh, is such that the mobile client mm-hmm. uh, needs to connect to uh, a back end piece of infrastructure that mm-hmm. we call Light Wallet D. Mm-hmm. And what Light Wallet D does is it communicates with one or more Zcash D full nodes and it generates a uh, compact representation of each block. Mm-hmm. And so, what that does is it removes the need for me as a user to provide a backend server somewhere with a view key or a spend key for my my wallet. Uh, It does mean that my light client will see this compact representation of every block uh, that occurs sends my wallet's birthday, which Mm -hmm. is when I install the application. Uh, There are privacy trade-offs associated with uh, that light wallet D server knowing which blocks I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're in the process right now of looking at uh, what trade-offs exist mm-hmm. and trying to figure out if it's appropriate to expose to the user uh, a, a, a slider, if you will, mm-hmm. where they could sacrifice some performance in order to gain greater privacy. Uh, yeah. the, the design as it stands today, I think threads that needle relatively well and provides pretty good privacy.
2: Mm-hmm. Doesn't
0: require that you trust the node, node operator uh, mm-hmm. to see the details of your transaction. Uh, but I, I think I would not recommend with the current architecture that if your privacy on chain uh, and on the network is a life and limb situation Mm -hmm. uh, that you use a light client. I'd recommend that you use a full node uh, and appropriate network privacy tools like Tor uh, and others like that.
1: Yeah, of course. And I've noticed that this seems to be um, something that a lot of major privacy enhancing projects seem to to have is like a, a, a bit of a sliding scale kind of thing for example mm-hmm. you know i know beam has a mimblewimble by default but then has a lelantis option for if you want to do something you know greater and then things like dash with the private set coin join you can go from two rounds to 16 rounds and there's uh there's that whole like sliding scale in there so i do think that that is on the right uh, wavelength as far as you know thinking letting users know what they should do Now, how much of the privacy risks are um, lessened by just a higher pool of users using shielded transactions as opposed to transparent?
0: So the the model that Zcash uses for on-chain privacy is such that Mm -hmm. the anonymity set of a Mm -hmm. user interacting with the shielded pool is all the users and all the transactions that have ever happened in the shielded pool. Mm -hmm. So this is notably different than the approach that Monero uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'd say that the users of Zcash Shielded Technology already have a very large anonymity set uh, uh-huh. in which to hide, if you will. The, the privacy landscape, though, is a combination of on-chain privacy, network privacy, metadata privacy. Uh, and so navigating that landscape, again, comes down to these trade-offs around performance, usability, and privacy. Uh, The the ECC team has recently completed an assessment of some uh, innovations around light client privacy and Mm -hmm. architectural changes that could be implemented uh, to gain better privacy while maintaining really high performance. And I'm really excited to see where this research, uh, in combination with members of the community that are building uh, out these light client wallets, Uh, To see where that goes. Feels like it it could really have potential. I know you mentioned a few minutes ago Mm -hmm. curiosity about how long does it take to send or receive a shielded transaction. If you want to have a little fun uh, on the air here today, you could grab uh, a light Zcash wallet on your phone right now and I could send you some Zcash Mm -hmm. on the show and we could see how long that takes if you're up for it.
1: Um, I probably don't have enough time right now because I've unfortunately booked things back to back, but that is a great idea. And at some point I'm gonna make some sort of a video on my own where I just compare time it takes between different solutions and stuff and make it like a much more like an engaging, user-friendly sort of video. But yeah, definitely, sure. I'll definitely give you a shout out when I, when I end up doing that for giving the idea because um, a lot of people don't, uh, everything's conceptual. No one uses this stuff, as I said, right? very few people use cryptocurrency at all. And very few people who do use cryptocurrency use any kind of privacy enhancement in any capacity. In,
0: yeah, so. I, think, I think that's fair. But I, I think also, uh, I, I mentioned in my introduction that I've spent my entire mm-hmm. career in cybersecurity. And yeah. for the longest time, myself and other cybersecurity experts tried to convince people to encrypt things. Uh, we started <laughs> to push people to encrypt websites, to use SSL or TLS. Uh, and we got a lot of pushback. We got pushback from people who said, why do I care? We got pushback mm-hmm. from operations data center folks who said, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require too much capital expense. It's going to burden the mm-hmm. servers too much. And it wasn't until uh, somebody released an application called Firesheep that made it trivial to expose the extent to which your privacy was being violated when you used uh, public Wi-Fi. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. that Firesheep moment was was pivotal in terms of gaining support for encrypting the web. If you look across the internet now, it is almost impossible to find any sort of reputable business or government website that doesn't use encryption specifically for the login page, but probably for the entire site. Yeah. And I think Firesheep and that the awareness that it created in normal people, like your mom would have seen at Firesheep on Facebook and thought, oh gosh, uh, I should look for that little luck icon when I use a website. We have not yet had that Firesheep moment in cryptocurrency, but we will. And I think we've seen signs of this happening on the Ethereum network where folks uh, like to use ENS or the Mm -hmm. Ethereum name system, and they put their ENS name in their Twitter handle. And then you see folks doing investigative work where they say, wow, uh, these 10 Twitter handles control, you know, these many hundreds of millions of ether uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Ether and wealth. And what impact does that have on these people's privacy? It's still pretty niche, but I suspect within the next 12 to 24 months, we will see a fire sheet moment for cryptocurrency. Now, particularly, I think that will happen if we start to see central bank digital currencies mm-hmm. getting traction. It's likely that will happen in China first, where I think it's likely that will go live with a mechanism that allows the Chinese government to get 100% visibility across all transactions on that entire chain. Uh, the United States government has taken the position that, yes, we're interested in central bank digital currencies, but the privacy uh, invading model where it's a purely transparent ledger would likely be a non-starter here here in the States.
1: Yeah, which sort of brings me to the next thing, um, which is government and attempts to crack privacy. And so there's this the there was this big hype thing not too long ago called cyber safer trace which mm. essentially was uh, alleged to be able to track monero transactions and i don't know if you know too much about that but if you do if you do do you have an idea on how valid the claims that they made may or may not be
0: yeah so my perspective on this is is basically informed by the fact that I know Dave Jevons personally, Mm -hmm. uh, the CEO founder at Cypher Trace. He and I worked together years ago when I was the chief security officer for a cloud email company called SendGrid. Uh, Dave was the chair of an organization called the Anti-Phishing Working Group. And I worked as part of that organization essentially to try to keep threat actors, fraudsters, scammers, and criminals off of our platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Dave was early in terms of identifying threat actor behavior and being able to track it on bitcoin
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: he, was, he was one of the first people uh, in the, the, the sort of uh, compliance regulatory law enforcement arena to recognize where things were headed with bitcoin mm-hmm. so i have a lot of respect for dave's perspective uh, i also know justin uh, mm-hmm. from the monero community and i have a lot of respect for all the hard work that he and sarang mitchell and others have put into monero uh, mm-hmm. I, I use Monero. I like Monero. Um, that said, I do believe that the underlying cryptographic techniques, the underlying uh, privacy model of Monero is such that it lends itself to the type of analysis that Trace and presumably Chainalysis and others are performing, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, and I watched the, the video that Dave Jevons did with Justin and Sarang on YouTube mm-hmm. talking about this, this disclosure and Uh, talking in broad strokes around what the capability is. And I think the takeaway I got from that was that if you've got really strong OPSEC, Mm -hmm. it's possible to use Monero securely, despite the fact that tools like those developed by CypherTrace exist. And I think that's that's probably spot on. Uh, It's been my experience working in the cybersecurity industry that law enforcement tends to catch who they can catch. uh, And who they can catch tend to be people that are sloppy with operational security yeah uh, and I think we'll we'll see that pattern play out uh, on the blockchain just as we have in in traditional finance.
1: Yeah, I've seen, definitely seen some some things like that happen in the past. Now before we go to the um to the concept of you know what can you actually do to improve your opsec on the the unfun the unfund sort of government topic, uh, I did see recently the uh, what the DOJ put out a memo about private uh, anonymity, enhanced cryptocurrencies and things like mm. that. And it depending on some your reading of that, it could sound really dismal. Like if you don't have a backdoor in your cryptocurrency, if you develop on it, even you could be liable. You could be criminally liable or something like that. And two, all the way of oh, this is nothing new. As long as you know, it, as long as the individual can find a way of uh, audit, of providing like an audit to you know a tax authority, or whatever, it should be fine. So where do you? What do you make of it? I'm, I assume you've, you've seen that.
0: For sure. Uh, we yeah. pay attention to to this. I think something that differentiates the Zcash project from other projects is that uh, Zuko Wilcox, who's our, our mm-hmm. founder, he spent a lot of time, uh, he lived through the crypto wars, as did I. He was on the front lines mm-hmm. uh, building cryptography, working on on uh, the first incarnation of digital cash with David Chom. And he experienced, as, as have I, this experience of, legislators policymakers and regulators uh, fearing that which they don't understand and i think we have that problem in spades right now we've got uh, some staffers on the hill that are pretty young and hip and understand new things like cryptocurrency and maybe they hold uh grayscale bitcoin Mm -hmm. in their schwab account uh, and they see where this is going but the vast majority of folks that are senators and congressmen in our country they're too old to wrap their heads around this stuff and Mm -hmm. so they hear Bitcoin, they hear Silk Road, they hear anonymity, and they freak out and they say, we've got to do something about this. We're going to need to ban all peer-to-peer transactions. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's likely that that will happen. I think that the good that is created uh, and the the economic opportunity that is created by allowing peer-to-peer value transfers to happen uh, is far greater than the harm that comes from them. Mm -hmm. But it will take time for folks to understand that Uh, the, the Zcash team... The ECC team has spent a lot of time talking to policymakers, talking to regulators, helping them understand the technology, helping them figure out how it works, how it can be used for good, uh, specifically to try to avoid these situations. Now, I think it's likely, though, that bad people will do bad things with this technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's likely that this will play out similar to the way that that society dealt with other innovations. So when automobiles were first introduced, uh, police on horseback said, "You can't have automobiles. We'll <laughs> never be able to catch these guys." Of course. Uh, and similarly, I think law enforcement looking at uh, cybercoin technology uh, for fully transparent chains, they love it because they say, Wow, this is the best thing we've ever had in terms of being able to connect the dots and figure out who the bad actors are and where they've you know followed the follow the trail of money. Uh, when they start to interact with coins with, serious privacy preserving capability, I think they get nervous and they look for the easy out. They look for the back door. They look for the golden key. And that's just not something that's going to happen. The cryptographic experts have weighed in on this multiple times through the years and have showed and I think proven conclusively that you can't create a key escrow backdoor type system uh, that allows good people in law enforcement to catch bad guys without also opening the door for complete subversion of that system by threat actors. So I think my takeaway is that law enforcement needs to raise their game. They mm-hmm. still need to be able to catch bad people doing bad things, but they'll need to do it by evolving their techniques. Uh, when you look at the way law enforcement grabbed uh, Ross Ulbricht of the Silk Road, uh, they at the end of the day, they needed to Physically catch him in Meat Space in the library with his laptop unlocked and distract him with some, some sleight of hand mm-hmm. uh, to be able to to get what they wanted. Uh, they couldn't use a cryptographic backdoor, uh, and I think that that type of approach is is something we'll we'll likely see them taking going forward. I think it's highly unlikely that we'll see uh, regulators and policymakers banning all peer to peer value transfers. They may try to push to only ban peer-to-peer value transfers for cyber coins that have privacy-preserving technology. But I also think that's a fool's errand because uh, all projects are now looking for how to add meaningful privacy to Mm -hmm. their chains. If not all, most projects are looking at, hey, on-chain privacy, transaction privacy is a real issue. How are we going to address it? Uh, This niche of so-called privacy coins, I think, is a a designation that is going to be short-lived.
1: Yeah, I did... Expressed an opinion earlier this year that I don't believe in the concept of a privacy coin. It's just, it's kind of like a critical feature. It's like a a spe- It's like a scalable cryptocurrency. Well, they all have to be able to scale to whatever the desired user base is. It's not like absolutely, well, yeah.
0: So people in the '90s, like Netscape, was the first to bring SSL uh, in the browser mm-hmm. and. This was widely heralded heralded as a mechanism by which we could move commerce online. It's a big innovation, but nobody said, well, that's a privacy browser. Now, the government (laughs) did make some half-baked attempts to prevent us from exporting strong encryption overseas. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. those decisions were were rolled back. But I think uh, going forward, people will look at cyber coins that have privacy capability and just think of them as cyber coins not as privacy coins
1: yeah now we were talking about earlier about OPSEC and how that you know that can be basically what in, in the context of Monero what can it make it able to be used confidentially if you have good strong OPSEC now I've heard this before about it's not just what you not just like oh I used like for example a lot of ignorant people back in the day I remember we're just buying Zcash off exchange, just sending transparent transactions and thinking they were all being cool and Cypherpunk, when they had no idea that they weren't doing that. But aside from that, what are some good ops, like best practices for someone who has like a a little bit of technical knowledge is not let, let's just say they have enough, um, they have enough acumen to probably be using a user friendly Linux distro, like Ubuntu, they can probably like Mm -hmm. get to Ubuntu. They know how to like set up to, to get a VPN they can, um, they can probably figure out how to install and run a full node as long as it's a GUI interface. Mm-hmm. What are some best practices to preserve your privacy when transacting in cryptocurrency?
0: Yeah, I think it, it starts with uh, really the web browser. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see this, I've got a habit having worked in cybersecurity and, and mm-hmm. done privacy research for so long, I use different browsers for different things. Uh, where the the other side needs to know my identity, I'll use a logged in browser, and I'll only do stuff in that browser uh, that needs to be logged in with whatever Mm -hmm. backend that is, like Gmail, uh, for example. I'll use a completely different browser for searching for things, uh, use a different browser for buying things. And I think that type of approach, combined with ad blockers and some some network uh, privacy technology, can really help you break the back of trackers and surveillance, capitalism folks. Mm-hmm. But then I look at my kids who basically have no idea that any of this is happening. They're logged in mm-hmm. all the time. They're searching or watching YouTube. They've got this constant feed of suggestions and it's clear that the, the AI algorithms are having a field day yeah. uh, recommending stuff for my kids to watch and buy and inter- interact with people and whatnot. Uh, so I think we as people creating technology solutions need to make it far easier for folks to have privacy by default. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a big step forward in this domain was the, uh, a friend of mine, Ashkan Sultani, who mm-hmm. was one of the primary authors of the CCPA or the California Consumer Privacy Act. He was also one of the early authors of the Do Not Track uh, program 10 mm-hmm. years ago to basically add a signal to your browser that will let tracking people know, hey, don't track me, it's, it's not okay for you to track me. And so uh, he's recently Succeeded in getting uh, legislation pushed through that makes it such that back end data harvesters need to honor those signals and can't sell your data if you have that signal set. So I think, you know, drawing a parallel from that world to cryptocurrency, uh, we need to have the same level of expectation of privacy. We need to have reasonable regulation uh, mm-hmm. in the, the cybercoin space. Now, we're a long way from getting there. So in the meantime, uh, I think it's going to be very much. The way it was when you were trying to have privacy online before we had any regulation and technology to support that uh, and it it involves things like being cognizant of uh, what is my IP address uh, what what is my screen resolution what cookies are in this browser um, what what transaction history is tied to this identity what real world information mm-hmm. is tied to this wallet address and Thinking about all that stuff can quickly become overwhelming, particularly when you're trying to figure out how to yield farm the, le- the latest uh, yeah. governance token in, in DeFi. Or you're just um, collecting
1: tips on the internet like I do for this video, for
0: example. <laughs> sure, and for folks that, I think that's one of the, the primary uh, points at which folks really start to understand how completely transparent ledgers can be deleterious is when you have a strong binding between a real world identity, such as someone accepting mm-hmm donations or tips to a wallet. Uh, once that wallet address is public, uh, any downstream transactions of that person doing something with those donations, um, it becomes pretty trivial to to pin those together. And that can have adverse consequences because I may want to tip you because I think you do a great job in your show. Mm-hmm. but I may not want to know and you may not want to share what sort of medical conditions you have. Mm -hmm. Uh, or what sort of political causes you support. And all of those things, you no longer have that optionality. You no longer have the option to protect those choices uh, about yourself uh, with the current tech stack that we have today. Now you can jump through a bunch of hoops and you can use mixers and you can use other privacy preserving technology to do that, Uh, but if you do, you run the risk that the coins you're you're using, you're spending, and interacting with will be marked as higher risk and then you might be banned from using uh, valuable centralized services and exchanges that you actually want to transact with.
1: Yeah, well, that's a pretty kind of comprehensive overview of all this. So what's next on the horizon for uh, Zcash? What's something that you're, that's, you're, that's really exciting to you that you just love people to keep an eye out for?
0: Sure. So uh, I mentioned that the major grants committee is, is elected. Uh, that funding will start accruing here uh, next month. And it's a meaningful amount of funding. So anybody who's doing uh, software development, uh, growth, marketing type development, uh, it doesn't need to be technical work. But mm-hmm. if anyone who's interested in contributing to Zcash in a meaningful way, there is now a material amount of funding available um, through that major grants committee mm-hmm. to, to get these people paid uh, to do that work. So uh, definitely stay tuned and... and uh, and participate there separately uh, we're partnering with gitcoin mm-hmm. so gitcoin is a is an online community that's very popular with the ethereum uh community mm-hmm. and it allows open source developers to be compensated for the work that they do uh in those projects so we're going to be doing a uh a round of matching grants uh with the gitcoin community for zcash focused development we actually had a, a hackathon that we we participated in with gitcoin uh last quarter that was focused on data privacy and there was a significant turnout from a variety of projects. It was really mm-hmm. exciting to see normal people starting to care about and think about privacy uh, and start you know, investing in it from a, from a software development perspective. Yeah. Down the track, uh, looking forward as to what, what's you know, possible with Zcash, uh, a lot of the, the, one of the early limitations of the zero knowledge cryptography that, that Zcash is built upon uh, was this requirement to do what was called a ceremony or a trusted yeah. setup, which is essentially a key generation uh, process? It's a multi-party process, uh, and it creates these public keys, if you will, that are used to verify the proofs mm-hmm. and to prevent double spend attacks and whatnot. Uh, the first ceremony had six participants, and there was much fanfare with people wearing tinfoil hats and destroying their hardware by mm-hmm. you know setting it on yeah, fire, I and cutting all that. it into pieces. It was, a, it was a lot of a lot of interesting stuff Uh, the next ceremony had 80 some participants for the the sapling protocol Um, and i think that from an adversarial perspective it would have been very difficult to compromise that ceremony but that notwithstanding this notion of needing that ceremony or that trusted setup i think is a turnoff to a lot of folks that that want to trust code they don't want to trust people Uh, so there is the the possibility that a future network upgrade uh, of zcash if supported by the community would basically allow us to get rid of that, that requirement hmm. uh, and to basically move forward without a, the so-called toxic waste. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the, uh, the step that uh, that could represent towards a scalable layer one protocol, which is something that we're spending a lot of time uh, and research and development cycles working on. So there's, there's a lot of really good stuff happening in the community, but I'm also really excited to see normal people starting to think about cryptocurrency generally, but specifically Bitcoin as a hedge against uh, the uncertainty and the instability that we see here in the US. So yeah. 2020 has been a hell of a year. We've got a pandemic. Uh, we've had all sorts of wildfires. We've had widespread uh, civil outrage around police brutality and racial injustice. Uh, in the midst of all this, we've seen our, you know, a massive economic collapse and we've seen our, our central bank or federal reserve printing money and injecting it into the ecosystem. Uh, And so I think this has caused people that never previously Mm -hmm. gave really had any doubts about the United States dollar as the reserve currency of the world starting to think about hedging. And we've seen this now with the CEO of MicroStrategy taking $250 US dollars and putting it into Bitcoin because he believes it's a a stronger uh, position than than US dollars for that piece of it. We saw yesterday Jack Dorsey and the team at Square $50 million. I think The dominoes are starting to fall of normal people uh, wrapping their heads around the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay and that it really is a safe haven asset. Uh, And I think that will create additional opportunity uh, for altcoins to continue to innovate uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, that domino moment that where I've always been, this is why I got into cryptocurrencies, because I did not believe in you know, uh, infinitely inflatable currency. And so I was trying to try and way back in the days, figure out how to spend stuff like gold and silver, but you know, it's fool's errand You can't really do that. And right. that's how I got into that. But like for me, I, so I've always been had this in my brain, but where I started to think that, Oh, this isn't just, Oh, crypto's big and people are speculating now where I started to see the average person sort of get a, get a grasp on this is, you know, Costco started to sell gold, which right. is like, Oh, and when you see that, it's like, oh, okay, this could be soon. Like I have told people, but now it's now that that's like one of the most mainstream retail level, non-technical, non-investy kind of aspects of the world. And now it's like, okay, in case you don't want your paper anymore, here you go.
0: Yeah, Main Street shops at Costco. Uh, With Costco selling a a durable store value, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a stepping stone towards, I think, the the global peaceful revolution that we want. So where could people
1: find more about you and your work or follow you on social media, et cetera?
0: Sure. So as I mentioned, I'm uh, responsible for operations at the Electric Coin Mm -hmm. Company. That's Mm -hmm. electriccoin.co. I work day to day on Zcash, which is Mm -hmm. Zed.cash. And then you can find me on Twitter uh, at AlchemyDC.
1: All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your time but thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed the podcast subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my cointree page that's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation check out the show sponsors protect your privacy online with nordvpn avoid content censorship with library live on crypto with BitRefill, get paid to search with Presearch. all links are in the show notes